The following podcast will contain spoilers along with unfettered feelings of nostalgia. Proceed at your own risk. Here it is, folks. Wash your hair and dress the bear. It's time for Event or Else, the podcast where I go through most every major Marvel and DC event, one issue at a time, one episode at a time, because, well, to be honest with you, I'm a middle child. I'm your host. My name is Steven. And like it or not, we've reached the final episode in our first event. This is the season finale, folks. The last chapter in the event that started it all. Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars. This is issue number 12, and despite what the cover might say, it's entitled Nothing to Fear. This issue was published by Marvel Comics in April of 1985, and it was written by Jim Shooter, with pencils by Mike Zeck, inks by John Beatty, letters by Joe Rosen, and the colors were by Christy Scheel. As the issue opens, we find ourselves in a very dark place. Doom Base is in ruins, and Captain America's iconic shield is broken and smoking. And yet, just in case this picture isn't worth a thousand words, Jim Shooter goes out of his way to ensure that you get the full, blood-soaked experience. 21 lie dead here. 21 heroes blown to pieces by a bolt from the blue. All are but carrion now. Blood oozing from the mangled remains of their flesh sizzles across the smoldering debris of their once mighty fortress. All right, we get the picture. Good Lord, Jim. Dr. Doom, having now murdered our heroes, pulls the power back into himself, containing it, lest in a careless moment, a casual flick, of Doom's little finger might blacken a star system or wipe out an entire intergalactic civilization. Meaning that really, godlike powers or not, Doom doesn't seem to have much of a hold on it. Meanwhile, in Volcana's apartment, which, along with a big chunk of Denver, is flying through space, hurtling toward Earth, as the villains try to make the best of it, the Enchantress draws a bath. She calls forth a water elemental and commands it to give her information about the Beyonder. The elemental only tells us what we already know. And once again, we get a bit of a recap of what's happened so far. However, she does ask if the Beyonder is dead, and the elemental tells her that no, the Beyonder is not dead, that he is close to Doctor Doom, but is too weak to act, and that he is hiding where Doom would never suspect awaiting an opportunity to strike. The lizard, unhappy at being cooped up in an apartment, freaks out. But before he can do much damage, Volcana calms him, winning his loyalty. But then Dr. Octopus throws his own tantrum and starts wrecking the place. The Enchantress uses the commotion to cash in on that favor Volcana promised her way back in issue number seven. And so, using her magic... The Enchantress teleports Volcana from the apartment to a nearby park, where she plans to take her life force to power a teleportation spell that should take the Enchantress home to Asgard. Meanwhile, Doc Ock's tantrum reaches the boiling point, and he actually goes after the Molecule Man, who just seals Dr. Octopus up on the sidewalk for the remainder of their journey. 
It's then that the lizard tells the Molecule Man that Volcana is gone and that the Enchantress has her. But fear not, the lizard can follow her scent, which allows the Molecule Man to save Volcana just in the nick of time. The Enchantress escapes, however, teleporting back to Battleworld, but the lizard follows, leaping into her teleportation spell at the last moment. They arrive outside Doom Base, where the lizard claws at her face. She returns the favor by draining his life force and teleporting back home, leaving him a burnt husk. Back in his tower, Dr. Doom has a little nap, but wakes suddenly, catching Claw creeping up on him. Doom chides Claw for letting him fall asleep, reminding him that he might do terrible things with his power if he's not awake to keep it under control. Claw wonders if one of the things Doom might do in his sleep is bring the heroes back from the dead. Doom scoffs at the idea, but for some reason, Claw bears down, and using 3D images made from sound, shows Doom what might have happened while he slept. Zashi, worried for her new bow, Colossus, rides a flying dinosaur to Doom Base, where she finds the heroes dead. After some digging, she locates Colossus's body, and because he'd transformed himself into his living steel body, there was a spark of life left inside him. Zashi uses all of her power to heal him, killing herself in the act. Colossus mourns for just a bit, before locating Reed Richards among the super corpses, figuring that with his elastic body, he may have some life left in him as well. And so he chucks Mr. Fantastic into one of Doom's healing machines, restoring the rubber man. Reed then invents and builds a massive cell regenerating device, which he uses to restore all of the other heroes. Doom finds this story more than a little silly, and so Claw tells him to turn his power back on and use it to check. But Doom doesn't really want to, fearing that now that the idea is in his head, once he brings his power back on, he might accidentally bring the heroes back. The two begin to argue, but it doesn't last long when suddenly Thor's hammer slams through the wall and into the room, proving that yes, the heroes have been brought back to life. Doom, in a rage, brings his powers to bear, which almost run amok and destroys all of reality before he can get it back under control. And so Claw gives him an idea. Doom should go rest, but he should also give Claw just a tiny bit of his power. And then, while Doom rests, Claw will destroy the heroes. Dr. Doom finds the idea to his liking, and does that very thing. And so, as the heroes attack the Tower of Doom, Claw is able to use his new power to create living monsters made of sound and sets them after the heroes. He also brings Ultron back to fight as well, and an epic battle commences. During the fight, the Thing begins to change back to Ben Grimm before he sets his mind to it and realizes he's able to control the change. The Hulk smacks Ultron a good one, denting the robot just enough that the Wasp is able to get inside him and take him apart. And then Claw, pretending to try and stop Captain America, takes a dive and allows the Sentinel of Liberty to get past him and go after Doom. Cap, wielding his broken shield, finds Doom chilling and the two have words before Doom fries him into ash as a gleeful Claw watches on. But then, suddenly, Cap is back, and he's charging at Doom. And so Doom fries him once more. And yet again, Cap is back. He takes a swing at Doom, who drops to the floor. Captain America realizes that something is wrong, 
as energy begins radiating out of Doom. Cap reaches out to him, telling Doom that he's losing his touch with reality and that he needs an anchor. But before Doom can do so, the shimmering radiance from the last issue that placed itself inside of Claw and that we are now learning is what's left of the Beyonder attacks and reclaims his power from Doom. Dr. Doom is transformed back into his old self and then he, the Beyonder, and Claw vanish, leaving Cap alone in the Tower of Doom. Outside, Cap finds the battle is over and that the heroes have won. They bury Zashi, and then Reed gets down to the business of figuring out how to get them all home, which is kind of odd considering that he already told everybody he could do it. As the heroes wait, the X-Men get some new costumes. They use the same machine Thor did, but not the same one Spider-Man used to get his costume, which has Spider-Man curious for about 3.2 seconds. Then, with no warning whatsoever, a shirtless, barefooted, one-armed man stumbles into Doom Base, confusing everyone until Spider-Man informs them that this is Dr. Kurt Connors, who is also the Lizard. The Doctor doesn't know how he got outside of Doom Base, only that he woke up and discovered that the Lizard had been sucked out of him and is gone forever. But that's not all the wrapping up that needs to be done, because it's at this moment as Nightcrawler wishes out loud that Lockheed the Dragon would return, that suddenly Lockheed the Dragon returns after disappearing way back in issue number two. There's no real explanation given for his being gone, only that he's not alone. Another small dragon is with him. Making me wonder, what was the point of including him in the first place? It's like Jim Shooter brought him on board didn't know what to do with him, so he just left him out of the story. And then he got to the end and he's like, oh yeah, I gotta bring Lockheed back. Uh, here he is. He's got a buddy. That's all I'm gonna tell you. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Anyway, it's as the heroes contemplate both of these amazing coincidences, Reed Richards explains that in the wake of the battle with Dr. Doom, the planet seems to have been charged with residual energy that seems to respond to their strong desire for something to happen. He calls it wish fulfillment. Well, that's all Captain America needs to hear. He retreats to another room where he has gathered all of the broken pieces of his shield that he can find. Then, wishing real hard, the shield is fixed and all is right with the universe once again. All that's left now is to get everybody home. Reed Richards, also known as Mr. Fantastic of the Fantastic Four, is a super smart dude. He's figured out how to teleport everyone back to the construct that first brought him to Battle Planet and that's still out there in orbit. Once on the construct, it will teleport them back to Earth. He sends everyone in groups because, well, it's just more dramatic that way. And those not affiliated with any teams go first. Spider-Man, Dr. Connors, Spider-Woman, the Hulk, and Magneto. Next is the X-Men, but Colossus wants to stay. He's just too sad over the loss of his one true love, Zashi. But after a speech from Professor X and a real good cry, he agrees to return with them, and they're off. And yet, as Reed is pushing the button, Lockheed's new dragon friend swoops into the teleportation field, which causes a dramatic energy fluctuation. The X-Men are gone, and Reed, along with the rest of us, are left with the assumption that everything just went okay for the mutants, that they're fine. 
Nothing to worry about. The Avengers are set to go next, but no one can find She-Hulk. But before anybody can panic, she arrives with the Thing, and she's wearing a Fantastic Four uniform. Turns out, Ben Grimm, the Thing, wants to stay behind on Battle Planet, and he figures the FF still needs somebody who can punch out buildings, and so he's convinced She-Hulk to join the team. Ben tells Reed that he ain't changing his mind. He's able to control his transformations while he's on Battle Planet. He can be human when he wants to be, and he doesn't have that choice on Earth, so he's staying to try to figure out a few things. Reed, in the end, respects his friend's wishes, but we get a bit of inner dialogue that shows that Reed knows some sort of secret behind the thing's transformations, but is too afraid to tell him. But they don't let us dwell on it as the Avengers and then the new Fantastic Four are gone, leaving Ben alone, sitting on a rock, and quoting Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And that's it. That's how our epic 12-part event ends. A lone man sitting on a rock on an alien world. Makes you think, doesn't it? No, not really? Well, that's all right, because now it's time for the top three things to dwell on. The top three things to dwell on are three moments in the book that I feel need to be given just a bit more thought. Funny, stupid, heartwarming, or sad, it doesn't really matter, because you know I'm going to talk about them. Thing to dwell on number three. All right, folks, here's the thing. I've actually only chosen one moment to dwell on, and to be honest with you, it's not even a moment. It's something that if you're looking, you'll see plastered all over all 12 issues. So let me try it again. The only thing I have left to dwell on, what's up with all the exclamation points? Now, I don't know that I noticed this the first time through, back when I was a kid, but it seems that every bit of dialogue in this entire series, if it isn't asked as a question, or if the dialogue doesn't trail off or get interrupted, it all ends in an exclamation point. Now, I'm guessing that this was a way to create a sense of energy or something, and if it's only your subconscious picking up on it, I suppose it does, but once you realize that they're there, they are difficult to stop seeing, and soon everyone in the book is just yelling at each other all of the time. That's a, I mean, that's a bit odd, right? It's not just me. Anyway, that was the one thing I had to dwell on. So now we come to that time in the show where I wrap it all up and tell you how I feel about the book in general. And first off, we're done. It's over. There's no more story left to tell. And honestly, that makes me both sad and excited. Sad that this event is over, but excited to move on to the next. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Now, if you read this in trade, depending on which one you have, there's a bit in the back that fills you in on what happened with most of our heroes directly following this event. But here's the thing. I'm not going to talk about any of that. The point of this show is that I'm going to be reading these events in as much of a vacuum as I can, meaning that in some cases, I'm not going to know what led up to the event, and I'm not going to know what happens to these characters after the event. That is, of course, except for the events that fall before or after. And so as far as what happens to these heroes after that final page, don't care. That's not the point. Now, as far as the issue is concerned, to me, it felt a bit rushed. But that might just be because of how it looked. It's been rumored that Marvel brought in a few extra inkers to get this issue done in time for release. 
And while I can neither confirm nor deny, it certainly does look like it. Now, the ending for me was satisfying, though, if I'm being honest, all the stuff about the heroes coming back and Captain America dying and rising over and over, it all seemed a bit metaphysical and slightly confusing, but I managed to stumble through. Now, looking back at the story as a whole, I'm surprised at how many of the characters really didn't have all that much to do, and I felt like more than a few of them were just there to fill in the background. I don't want to spend too long on this point, so I'm just going to use Captain Marvel as an example, because here we have this amazingly powerful character, and her only contribution for the entire series just seemed to be staking things out. You know, flying super fast and finding them a place to live or run reconnaissance. I mean, what a waste. It makes me feel like Jim just stuffed this story full of characters that he didn't know what to do with. But despite all that, Marvel Superhero Secret Wars was, for me as a kid, one of the first Marvel books I remember reading. My memory's always been a bit fuzzy, but I'm fairly certain that this series is what pulled me into the Marvel Universe and introduced me to many of the characters. That means, of course, for me, my first Iron Man was Jim Rhodes and not Tony Stark. My first Captain Marvel was Monica Rambeau and not Carol Danvers or even Marvell himself. It also means that Julia Carpenter was my first Spider-Woman and not Jessica Drew. And it means that for me, Professor X could walk and that Spider-Man had a black and white costume. Now, really, not all of that's true. Before I started reading comics, I'd been introduced to a lot of these characters through the cartoon, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. But for most of it, most of my firsts, it's all true. This is the event that made me fall in love with the Marvel Universe. And for many years, I was a Marvel zombie through and through. And really, the many times I've read Secret Wars as an adult, there really isn't much to it. Because honestly, the series was originally put together to sell toys, some of which I owned. But for an event that was primarily a marketing campaign, it wound up being the template for many of the Marvel events to come. After all, Marvel Superhero Secret Wars was a huge success. And if there's one thing you don't mess with, apart from Texas, well, that's success. As for me, I'm always going to remember Marvel Superhero Secret Wars fondly, and it's always going to have a special place in my heart. I mean, if I'm being honest with myself, I'm sure I'm going to read it again in the next two years. And so, yeah, this would normally be the part in the episode where I'd ask you to join me back here next week, but I'm afraid I have to announce that I'm going to be taking a bit of a break before I come back with season two. A four-week break, to be honest. And when we come back, it won't be on a Monday. No, starting with season two, the episodes will drop on Friday rather than Monday. But hey, if you're subscribed to the show, you're not going to miss an episode. So join me back here on Friday, July 23rd for the first episode of season two, where I'm going to kick off another 12 episode season. But this time I'm going to be reading and talking about Crisis on Infinite Earths from DC Comics. It's only going to get bigger and better from here, folks, and you really aren't going to want to miss it. Event or Else is a presentation of the Just Another Fanboy podcast. Questions and comments can be directed to eventorelse at gmail.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Stephen Aror and get instant access to the My Other Podcast podcast. 
a weekly show where I talk about all the nerdy type things I don't have time to talk about in all my other podcast episodes. I also encourage you to rate the show wherever available and share the podcast with a friend. All links will be in the show notes. There's a snort. <laughs> uh, that may go at the end of the sentence. It better.